to another episode of the Associated Podcast, where we make venture capital more accessible. I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Francesca, today. Francesca, how are you? I'm well, thanks. I just think it's bizarre that today of all days in April that it's snowing. But uh, other than that, uh, I kind of wanted it to go more the other way of it being a bit warmer. <laughs> um, I'm all good. How about you? Good. Good. Yeah, I feel the same about you know, the weather. I'm just like, I'm so ready for sunshine. And speaking of sunshine, I'm super excited to chat to our guest today, who's I'm sure experiencing more sunshine than we are. Welcome, Sasha Heider. Hi, everyone. Sasha, where in the world are you right now? So I'm in Dubai in the UAE. And yes, it is much more sunny than it is in the UK, um, as I've seen from the snow that Francesca just showed us. Yeah, I'm a principal at Global Ventures, which is a venture capital firm that focuses on the Middle East and Africa. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here with you guys. And we're so excited to be speaking to you because I think you're our first guest who has a very specific geographic reach and and lens. And we're really excited to get into that uh, throughout the episode. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about Global Ventures, give us a little bit of a bio of what you're focused on there. Yeah, sure. So we are an international venture capital firm that's focused on emerging markets and specifically at the moment, Middle East and Africa. So we have teams on the ground in the UAE, Saudi, Egypt, and very soon Sub-Saharan Africa, Kenya, or Nigeria. Uh, We're looking for our next hire, which we can chat about perhaps a little bit later as well. And yeah, so we have a couple of funds under management. The first one's almost fully invested uh, across 22 portfolio companies, and we're very much growth stage Series A investors. And our first fund was sector agnostic, but it had a sub-thesis in sort of fintech and financial inclusion. And so sort of 50% of our portfolio sits in fintech companies in the region. And our second fund, which we're sort of in the process of raising has a more health tech inclusion post-COVID opportunity focus, which is really sort of considering that, that, you know, the same thing that happened for financial inclusion 10 years ago is happening now with healthcare inclusion because of the pandemic and how it sort of brought the healthcare to the forefront of everyone's minds, both policymakers, investors, individuals. So yeah, so we've done a fair few investments from that fund already as well. Um, that we're really excited about. And yeah, I think that's I think that's sort of the spark notes. That's fantastic. And from our previous discussions, I recall that you went to university in the UK. So I'm curious to know how you ended up at the fund in Dubai. Like, how did that story go, so to speak? So it's actually like it started where it began. So, yeah, I'm, I, I feel like it's really important to preface all conversations I have with where I'm from. And so I'm originally Pakistani. Uh, so both my parents are Pakistani. I was born in the UK uh, and I grew up in the Middle East. So um, my, my dad actually grew up in, in the UAE and my mom grew up in the UK. So I'm very confused culturally is probably the best way to put it. But I also can take the best pieces and best parts of all my cultures and sort of mix them together. I moved to the UAE basically when I was three weeks old and I did sort of like most of my childhood here. Um, but spent also a lot of time in the UK and that was like sort of second home because you know I had family and, and grandparents that lived there and I think actually I really used to struggle with with identity but as I like um, sort of moved into VC I understand that it's like a really big strength to be able to understand people from different places and and be able to sort of look at things through different lenses both culturally and also I guess you know otherwise 
Um, and yeah, so I sort of grew up in the Middle East, went to uni in England. I went to Warwick and studied history and politics, which is quite far from what I'm doing now. What, what was the decision behind reading those subjects? Yeah, so the summer before I went to uni, I actually interned at CNN and I thought I was going to be a news anchor. That was my dream <laughs> was to be. So I'm, I'm not really doing the same thing. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I thought I was going to be a journalist. So I thought history and politics makes the most sense. And then the summer before I graduated, I interned at the private equity arm of Louis Vuitton in Singapore, where I was part of sort of the value acceleration team for their fund. Um, and I sort of supported on a very big project where an, sort of like a fast fashion footwear retailer called Charles and Keith did their expansion into the U.S., and sort of the plan, the plans for that. And that was really my first taste of investing. And, and when I started to get excited about the investing space and, and, and I decided I wanted to, to work in it. Mm. And, and how did you find out about that internship? Because obviously when you're reading history, you maybe think you want to be an anchor. How did you start exploring this quite different industry? Yeah, so... I also think the way that, that, that universities are set up in the UK, if you don't have an active interest in careers and if you don't take a subject which has sort of certain career options thrown at it, um, it's very difficult to find out about it. So, for example, when it came to sort of the investment banking internships and, and all these other sort of spring weeks and stuff, I was a bit late to the boat because I hadn't really known about them. And it was only through friends who'd like, you know, done accounting and finance who were having this stuff like constantly pushed in their direction that I was able to find it. And I think that it really came from a conversation around like from, and this is going to sound sort of funny, but it actually came from a guy I was dating. He was like, I think you'd probably be quite okay at finance. You should probably take a look kind of thing. Um, and so I started to look into it and I realized I sort of missed the boat on the opportunities in um, sort of the UK because they, they hire like much uh, further out and before. And so it came to sort of a few months before the summer and I was like, I'd really like to get some experience. And so I started to tap into my personal network and it just so happened that my father had a friend based in Singapore and I, I started just chatting to him and he was like, you know what, you think you'd really enjoy doing an internship here just based on the things you've said. Uh, I, was, I was working as part of the value acceleration team, right? So it wasn't the same as sort of doing an investment banking internship. And yeah, that's really how it happened. It was like I, he sort of put me in touch and, and I had the chance to sort of speak to someone. I think that at that age, it was like my first sort of taste of how like networking and relationships are so important and you'd like you should just ask people because in most situations people are willing to help or if you try 10 people at least one person will reply so that's really how I how I got that amazing and how was it moving to, to Singapore and working there so I think that honestly like the team was fairly diverse and international and Singapore is like quite cosmopolitan as well so it was quite a seamless move because I'd grown up in Dubai which had a very similar sort of vibe to it one of the things I experienced when I was there was the deal team were all sort of these people who had sort of like three to four year sort of bulge bracket investment experience uh, and I felt for me like that was really when I started to become more interested because I asked them I said like oh can I work on some of the deal stuff because I was really tagged to sort of the operations team. That's basically when I decided I wanted to do more of the investment side as opposed to the sort of operational side. And they were kind of like, you need to get sort of two to three years bulge bracket investment banking experience in order to join our team on the investment side. Got it. Got it. Did you feel in any way intimidated by the experience that people around you had? 
Yeah, for sure. Also, I think that once again, coming back to how certain people are trained to do this or the information they're given about it is like a lot of the people at Warwick Business School, for example, had access to like how to take psychometric tests or how to do the logic tests or how to do the numerical tests. And they sort of had that in preparation. So the first few, like the first few applications I did to investment banks, I was really like not sure what they were looking for. And I hadn't really done much career focused stuff. And then I feel like I wasn't advantaged by the fact that I then also studied history. So it just seemed like all a bit abstract, perhaps to the person who was on the other side of the table. And now actually, since like I've been fairly involved in the recruiting process and in a, in a bunch of things for the last sort of like, you know, for four to five years of my career, I've just realized that the things that you think people are, care about are not the things they care about. And I wish I'd, I wish I'd known that before. But yeah, I did feel intimidated by it. And, but I also now feel that it's quite formulaic and there's a way to sort of apply to these things and get into these things. And I figured that out a little bit later after I graduated actually from uni. And, and so what did you end up doing next? So, so I was offered the opportunity to come back and, you know, explore that afterwards, but it was fairly niche. It was in Singapore. And I, I I'd understood that there was always going to be this barrier if I didn't get that relevant investment experience. And so then I, I decided I was going to apply to, to some investment banks. But at that point also, I think I was a bit, um, once again, behind the curve. So I actually graduated from university, not knowing what I was going to do. And then I started to apply to investment banks, got a bunch of interviews, had a few offers. And it was really like at this moment where like, you know, I wasn't working and that's every parent's nightmare, like kid leaves school and then has no idea what they want to do, gets offers and then turns them down because she really, like, I, I remember I had a sales and trading interview with Citibank and in the interview, I just had this like feeling where I was like, oh my God, I would hate to do this job. I was just like, when I, I feel like I didn't really understand it when I applied because I was a bit intimidated and you know, you, you're a bit like, I don't know what makes sense or what has the skills, but it's like a good brand. And I was in the interview and he was asking questions and I was just thinking like, oh my God, I'd be terrible at this. Like, why would I even sign up for it? But at the same time, I'd applied to the Abraj Group, which was previously or formerly the largest emerging markets private equity fund to their global analyst program, which is really cool because it allowed you the chance to go to anywhere between sort of two to four different countries and work in sort of either like different countries or different verticals over a two year period straight out of uni and it was sort of for me at least also the kind of um, gap year or year out I never took that I'd always wanted to sort of getting that travel experience in as well. I love the sound of this program I think as someone that didn't have opportunity at university to do a year abroad and so many of my friends did and I was always so envious so yeah we'd we'd be curious to know what countries you you picked to go live in. Yeah so the program was structured in a way whereby they had 15 analysts join the program, 12 guys and, and three girls on the program, which for me was just like, you know, astounding also in terms of gender, gender imbalance. But, but yeah, so the program was structured where everyone would meet in Dubai where they were headquartered. And we do sort of like this six to eight week training where we'd basically be told everything about the company, the processes. And then we do basically the same training that you do at an investment bank, like a training the street or a Fitch training where you basically learn like the one-on-one of financial modeling and you have to do a few assignments and you're learning the basic skills on like how to make a presentation and stuff, which by the way, for me was like a revelation in my experience because I would just... I feel like now more and more, like I, I understand that I have certain skills and certain people who come from certain backgrounds have certain skills just because they've been trained that way. 
and they're not exceptional or more intelligent or more wonderful than the people who don't because we were just taught and sort of brought up in an environment where you had to do things to a certain level and given those abilities almost which for me did a lot to help with the whole like intimidating thing for people who worked at like you know big branded banks it, it also eliminates the idea for me that as someone who didn't study sort of a math subject post a level that financial modeling is rocket science because honestly it's really not and i'm not saying that i'm a quant or anything like that but i'm just saying it's really just not that much of a deal and i think that we're sort of taught to fear it because it's it's complicated and people get paid a lot to do these jobs but it's not really but yeah i digress so yeah after the 6 to 8 week training period um you then put in a few choices and you could choose between five different regions so there was a really huge choice there was 25 places you could be sent um but you'd work like primarily with a fund that was allocated to each section but it was also dependent on where your skill sets your background which teams needed staffing so there was a, a huge a bunch of different things and i'd always had my heart set on going to latin america that was really where i saw myself and it was my first choice and i'd put sub-saharan africa somewhere in the middle but it was not a priority for me so when i received my allocation and i was given kenya for my first rotation i was really shocked i was really shocked and i didn't imagine i'd be going to kenya and it's not what i'm mentally prepared for and so i i sort of i remember at the moment being like oh my god like i have no idea like really didn't place myself there and so in october of 2015 i moved to kenya uh where i was part of the sub-saharan africa deal team um on the 900 million dollar fund yeah which was which was really exciting that's so cool <laughs> i i love how sometimes fate sort of forces you to go into environments that are completely outside of your comfort zone but also opens up enormous opportunities for you to grow as an individual would love to understand what you were doing within that 900 million dollar fund yeah so when I moved to Kenya I actually didn't know anyone there like I didn't know anyone I didn't know anyone on the team I didn't know any person I did I never been there before I packed suitcases to move somewhere that I'd never been before and for me like honestly I don't know about other people that was just quite like a, a big thing to do just like I have no idea what it's like and I'm I've rented a place and I'm just going there and I have no context I think it was my first time in sub-saharan Africa actually so it was like even bigger around me like I don't have any like context around uh what else is there and it turned out to be uh, sort of like one of the best years of my life that that I was but I was I was the analyst on the Kenya deal team and we basically oversaw East African investments the investment strategy was sort of large cap private equity for sub-saharan africa focused on consumer businesses um and we do things in the range of sort of 20 to 70 million dollar tickets into companies which as you can imagine is fairly sizable given that a lot of the funds that we work with now are of that size alone right so we were doing fairly big investments but one of the really interesting things that happened during my time in Kenya and this was um sort of the precursor to a lot of my interest in venture as well was while I was there we were constantly being approached by smaller companies and startups who were looking for funding and couldn't find it and there was a lot of private equity players in the market and there was a lot of seed players but there was this like space in between for series b to d where there's a huge vacuum and that still exists it's become a bit better like 5 years on but it it but existed then and i remember thinking like there's definitely an opportunity here and there's a gap in the in the fund cycle so one of my friends and i uh, who also happened to be my colleague on the team 
decided to write sort of like a little thesis paper for the firm to say that we keep getting these opportunities coming to us. They're really promising and we can't fund them because they're not in the mandate and we don't bring them to IC for that reason. But there's something here and there's there's like a like an early stage opportunity in our markets that we're missing and we're on the ground and we have an opportunity to really do something here. And later, this conversation, I guess, was had by multiple people all over the world who were receiving the same opportunities, it eventually turned into uh, the Abraj Group's VC arm called The Bakery, uh, which, which was short-lived before the firm's collapse, but, but really, I guess, was like my first interest in sort of the early stage space. And is that when you moved to Global Ventures? So before that, I actually moved with the firm to okay. Mexico. Mm-hmm. That was my second rotation. So I moved to be part of the LATAM deal team. And that was like a $600 million Pacific Alliance focus fund. And I did a few fairly sizable investments there, primarily in retail. Mm-hmm. And then my last investment there was in a Series B for a global hospitality provider called Selena, which was honestly just a, a great company. Like They're doing some really exciting stuff, like unbundling sort of the hospitality experience for the digital nomad. Um, and that was once again, one of my first interactions with sort of earlier stage businesses. And I remember thinking at the time, like this is a lot more interested than looking at the financials or building a financial model for a retail company. Um, and I decided maybe, you know, in the future, I'd want to do something sort of more related to that. And while I was in Mexico, that's when the Abraj groups was sold in pieces, I guess. And then my, my part of the firm was acquired or Latin America was acquired by an American firm called Colony Capital, which was um, a REIT at the time. So real estate focused player that has now sort of migrated a bit more into digital infrastructure plays. But honestly, like it was a fairly grueling and stressful time. And there was a lot of uncertainty through the sale process um, of the group. And I basically made the decision that I was, you know, a little bit burnt out. And then and then equally, I sort of took a look at where I was based in Latin America. And I realized I don't have the social capital that some of my peers and colleagues do. And, and as a female in the profession, it's already challenging enough sitting in rooms where you're consistently the only female and then don't have the, the social capital or the cultural connections to be able to lift yourself up. And then I also thought that my whole life was centered around sort of like, you know, the Middle East, Asia and Europe. And I was really far from from most of my connections and where I saw my future as well, uh, as well as perhaps being a little bit burnt out too. I'm so impressed by your ability to reflect. I think sometimes when you're stuck in that kind of bubble of just hard work, grind, like I think it takes a lot of maturity to understand that like that's not the right place for you and where you want to end up going. And I love your journey so far. And I, I already know that there's a curveball coming up from our previous conversations, which is very exciting. But I think it, it demonstrates such an entrepreneurial spirit that you're just willing to like pack up suitcases and go to different areas of the world and really making a big difference like that paper that you wrote and they really took that into account and and shifted their model to incorporate those companies and obviously with Selena you know very innovative business driving that forward yeah I think that honestly though there's a few things that come with having starting your career early in finance is that 
I think firstly, when most people start working, that their main objective is to sort of gain skills and to learn as much as possible. And so your focus is, and that's the whole having your head down for a few years and like learning how to do stuff. And then there's like an element of confidence when it's like, I know what I'm doing now that you can kind of look up a bit and say like, well, what's next then? Or where does this take me? And then like realizing also that there's like a bit of like a hierarchy involved, like PE is fairly hierarchical. Uh, and I was always around primarily male colleagues. And I, I don't think that, that anyone was like overtly sexist or, or experienced any type of prejudice per se. But I just realized that there was a lot of connections being made in forums where I didn't have social capital, for example. So sometimes deals would come and it'd be like, oh, yeah, I know that person. It's my my brother or my cousin or, you know, my friend. Like my friend knows the person who started that business. It's a much easier segue for that person to sort of then become sort of the lead on that deal. Right. I don't even have as much cultural context because I've only been in Mexico for one year, for two years at the time. And yeah, and so then I kind of went to my bosses and I was like, okay, thanks. I had an incredible experience. I learned so much. I spent three years and a bit in Mexico and I just, it was such an amazing experience. Honestly, if, if, if you haven't been and spent time in that country, I really, really urge and encourage you to because it's amazing. And then they were sort of like, well, why don't you just take a bit of time out and see if this is really what you want to do? So I took a three-month sabbatical and I went to Italy to study art history, which was really, uh, really like a privilege and such a blessing and and really time which I had for myself and taking a break from work. And I I just, once again, like, I feel like I've never been happier. I've never been happier than I was in that, in that moment. And if anyone, if you can do that for yourself, whatever your thing is, if you can build sort of financial modes for yourself, whereby you can sort of take breaks during your career, I think it's like, such a good thing to do because it really shows that you're treating your career more as a marathon as opposed to like a sprint um, because sometimes when you're older and you have different responsibilities and, and I'm not there yet but you know you might have a mass sort of like the financial security to be able to do certain things but you might not be in the same moment of your life to experience them in a certain way. I mean, I completely agree. I, I think you need, in order to have um, endurance in a career like this, um, which at times be extremely stressful, and I think illustrated that really well with the novelty of, of moving around and then also having the pressure of asserting yourself in an environment where you don't feel you know, the most comfortable. It does, I think, wear on you. Uh, mentally and, and emotionally as well. And um, I think those breaks are, are really important and showing that kind of self-awareness of where your boundaries are is, is vital. And so after Italy, then global ventures happen. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. That That's what led me here. So I, I basically, I moved back to the UAE and in all honesty for a month about a month I did absolutely nothing I just enjoyed being back on, in the same part of the world as my family and friends and just spending as much time with them as possible once again I was going to say one of the benefits of the whole like financial career or like working in EE was that obviously being able to afford to do those things I know that's not a reality for a lot of people but but in terms of like having saved up and being able to sort of support myself financially through that time was also a big part of it yeah and then I started to look for jobs in private equity in the Middle East just mainly because I assumed it would be the easiest move for me and I'd kind of already been told by people that moving career path or sort of um, role and geography is a challenge so you should just try and optimize for one and I figured that I'm moving geography I should try and just stick to what I know and I came back to the region and what I found was like local PE shops just didn't have money or weren't doing stuff that I found interesting and I kind of also had once again this reflection moment where I was like you've taken out the time like you've like really enjoyed yourself you've enjoyed your career today I guess as well like there's no point just doing something for the sake of doing 
something now if it's not what you want to do. So I did, I got some offers to some family offices some local funds and I turned them all down um, just because I, I had a, a real feeling that this, it wasn't what I was supposed to do. And then I met the GP of, of Global Ventures for a coffee and it was very much someone sort of pushed me in her direction and said, you should speak to Noor because she's going to give you some good ideas about like, you know, where you can work uh, and what the space looks like right now. She's just raised um, her first fund and, you know, she's really well positioned to tell you what the, like the, the founder funder landscape looks like here. And I met her and 20 minutes in to the conversation, she goes, would you like to come and work with me? And can you meet my partner tomorrow? And I remember at the time just being a bit like, does this, is this how people get employed? Like, um, is this, is, does this happen anymore? It was such a weird experience. And she was like, no, you've spoken a lot about like the work you've done across emerging markets. She's like, I assume from the, the shop you worked at that you have a lot of the skills that you have because you wouldn't have survived there for five years if you didn't. And equally in the short conversation we've had, I've understood that there's something there, right? And so the next day, I met, met the partner and then the day after that I attended the the team sort of like um, annual strategy meeting at the start of the year along with a bunch of other people and, and I've sort of been there ever since. Nice and so I mean I think that it's really interesting what you mentioned that is this how people get hired because the, you know a lot of what we talk about in in associated is what's the interview process like what's the what's the way to you know break into a VC fund and while the, there are certain things that you can do, it almost seems like there's no fixed blueprint for getting a job like this. I mean, in your conversations with uh, Noor, feel like you were in, in an interview. No, that's exactly it. Also, you have to understand from the space I was coming in, it was really formulaic how you'd apply to jobs. It, would, it was like you do competency tests, you get a first round interview, you get a case study, and then you get to justify that case study, and then you have a final interview to sort of wrap it up and it was exactly the same every time and it was a fairly long process in every other situation in which I've interviewed and I also didn't I think I didn't mention about like how intimidating it is once you've worked in a certain sector to then suddenly get back on the job market and not have a job because when you're interviewing and when you're preparing for interviews straight out of university it's a very different situation than when you've like worked for a few years and being out of practice is a thing but yeah, to, to, to come back to your question, like speaking to Noor did not feel like an interview, but it was quite interesting because she posed a question to me when I was, she was like, how, she said, how can I be of help to you? Um, and so she, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm back in town and I'm trying to figure out what it is I'm going to do or what's going to be my next job. And then she's like, what is it that you're interested in it? And what is it that you can do? Because it's somewhere at the intersection of those two things. And I started to talk about that. And that's kind of the moment where she was like, okay, well, then I think there might be a fit actually with what I'm doing. She's like, just given, she's like, I, she's like, I think we could use your skills. And I think that you could also, this like, seems like it could make sense for you as well. I love the sound of Noor. She sounds like a bit of a superhero and such an exciting opportunity for you to be at the table when the decisions are being made. So it's so early stage in the, the fund's journey. And, and I'd love to know a bit more about how you've contributed towards shaping the fund and and going forward uh, like even from when we last spoke you you mentioned earlier in this episode you've made 20 investments like that's that's an, a lot more than when we last spoke so certainly i imagine you were involved in that but were there any other things that you've been involved with as as the fund has grown yeah i think that i think that one thing that's really awesome about being part of a of sort of a founding team of a fund is that if something doesn't exist you can build it and you build it the way that you imagine it 
um, everyone has a voice at the table. So from the analysts to the partners, like everyone speaks, participates in sort of deal discussions, and, you know, perhaps not the making the final decision, but definitely is able to weigh in and share their experiences and share their perspectives, which I think just makes the investment analysis process and just like the whole sort of team environment a lot richer because there's a lot of different perspectives um, around the table. Um, but yeah, I've had I've been able to support on a lot of other things other than deal making. So I led the firm's first investments in sub-Saharan Africa, the first ones being in Helium Health, so West Africa's leading electronic medical record provider. Super exciting company, amazing founders who are actually in town. Uh, we met for the first time today, actually, in person. We met for the first time this morning. I did that transaction from start to end on Zoom because the pandemic had just hit and just hit. And today I met them for the first time. And it was really funny because it felt like I'd been in a long day, I'd been in a long distance relationship with some founders for a while. And and yeah, and so so other things I worked on was I, I asked for one intern uh, just because I found the workload to be a lot. And it filed into the sort of like 23 intern uh, virtual internship program that, that turned out to be sort of like a massive success. Then I built the firm's investment process or investment process 2.0 because there was something in place before I joined, but I really sort of like brought structure to it. Um, and that was a really awesome experience as well. Um, and currently I'm, the, I'm the, he the head of sort of the sub-Saharan investment team and the firm historically was a bit more active in Middle East, North Africa with our first fund and GCC focused um, and then sort of Egypt. And now as we sort of move in transition to our second fund, we expect to sort of allocate a lot more time and capital to sort of sub-Saharan Africa. One, because there's a huge opportunity there, but two, because it's also a natural fit um, with sort of our thesis in terms of sort of like, you know, globally minded founders who are solving problems. And there's a very natural sort of movement from companies from Egypt to Kenya, for example, and then equally sort of like to the Middle East. So it's sort of the next piece of the puzzle. And so doing the go-to-market strategy, building a team, defining like how we're going to operate, pipeline, mapping, um, tackling such a big geography has been such an awesome part of what we're, what we're doing right now as well, uh, or my responsibilities here. Great. That, that's super interesting. And I kind of want to touch on how you built up the expertise and knowledge base of, of building out those structures. But before that, you mentioned this really interesting sounding internship program. And I'm, and forgive my ignorance here, I think from my understanding in the, the UAE region as a whole, you know, there's not a huge number of VCs first first and foremost and and secondly there's perhaps not a huge number of female investors within that space so I'm so excited by the fact that you know you had the opportunity to maybe have one or two interns working but you made that executive decision to have like 23 what was the reason behind that was it to sort of open up the ecosystem a bit more or was it uh, another reason yeah, so I think it was really about creating accessibility to venture capital. Like that was one of the, the primary things. Was one of the things that we've obviously noticed is that like talent is a huge constraint in this market in the Middle East and, and Africa both, both for founders and for funders. Is like finding talent is tough. And one of the things we sort of chatted about was like perhaps the way or the best way to hire people is to get a large pool of people, have them train and work with us for sort of like, you know, a couple of months. Um, as sort of like an extended interview process and then sort of bring on people as like full-time hires, which we did. 
Um, and the program was like like a huge success. So we had everything from sort of like training where people were given with some friends of the firm trainings on sort of like venture capital 101, like how to sort of assess a market size, how to prepare investment materials, understand sort of basic financials. Um, something once again that what most people as they come into VC don't have that experience in the same way some of their like other later stage financial employees have and then on top of that we had sort of like a one-to-one mentorship scheme where you'd be either mentored by a partner or principal or senior associate who would sort of guide you through the six-week program from start to the beginning which is like what do you want to achieve during this program what are the skills you want to gain um, and then you have a couple of check-ins and look at the end and see like did you actually achieve those things or was it something else we had a lecture series where we had Alan Patrickoff from Greycroft Capital and you know we had Modesto Shaker who's one of the founders of Kareem which was the region's first unicorn and really you know being in a sort of small format of like 20 people speaking and being able to ask direct questions is quite incredible um, you know for, for, for some of these people too and then they participate on three verticals mainly one would be sort of like the investment execution so sourcing diligence and then sort of presentation and preparation of IC materials uh, we'd have sort of portfolio value creation so whether that was sort of like you know mapping out acquisition targets for some of our portfolio or you know considering other things in terms of like doing a market analysis and then the last one was obviously like research so research is a very big part of what we do here as well um, and you know we have um, very comprehensive fintech and health tech reports on the region out and very shortly in edtech one in a matter of days um, sort of supporting on that and understanding how theses are built out at these firms and then aside from that, just like fun, um, happy hours, getting to know other people, virtual coffee chats, building a network with 20 other people who are young, intelligent, motivated and interested in VC. Yeah, it was a fairly comprehensive program. And a lot of people spoke to how structured it was for a VC firm um, in terms of like what their day to day activities were and, and how they were engaged with the team. Mm, I, I think that's amazing. And just to dig a little bit deeper why do you think that it's not a particularly big ecosystem at the moment, um, the, the VC ecosystem in UAE? So I think it's fairly nascent, right? And there's obviously in terms of like a constraints on funding. So it's still very much funders market here because like access to capital is limited um, in the region and it's like fairly early stage. And so funders are in a position of power here, I guess, a little bit more in terms of setting terms, sort of smaller shops. So I think access to capital is probably like the single biggest reason that, that VC firms in the region are, are a bit smaller. Um, you'll notice that some of the countries in the GCC are, yeah, you know, fairly developed and often then, you know, similar to sort of like sub-Saharan Africa and other places, they don't fall into the impact mandate in the same way. As well as the fact that it's also easier in a lot of situations for tech from more developed markets to come to this region because the infrastructure exists to support it. I love it. And I love how you're paving the way and bringing amazing, talented people along for the ride by, by educating them about what is such an exciting and up and coming industry. And speaking of up and coming, you were also recently promoted. Is that correct? Yeah, I was promoted. Um, well, actually, in, yeah, in September last year to, to principal. So no longer, no longer a senior associate. I hope I, I, I'm glad I could still make the cut for, for associated. So actually, during our internship, the associated podcast notion page was a really helpful resource for a lot of the people who are, who are part of the program. Just in terms of sort of like, you know, the VC 101, it was linked on our internal intranet that we built for the, for the interns. Um, it was one of the links and a lot of people gave great feedback um, mm -hmm. on, on sort of the resources you guys have compiled. So 
That's Shout great out. to hear. That's really nice that our little Notion page made its way all the way to Dubai. That's lovely. Um, and so going back to your promotion, congratulations, obviously. How did that happen? We, we've discussed this before in a few episodes around career progression. What was that process like? I think that there's like a general theory on how people operate at Global Ventures. And it's really that you have to be good at everything and excellent at a few things. And, and that means not that we're, we're all very big headed and we think we're good at everything. It just means that we all understand the specific value that we bring to the team and the gap that we fill. Um, and we're fairly well-rounded from that perspective and that we have everyone from sort of like an operational background to consultancy background to an accountancy background and then like, you know, more traditional finance or, or really other random stuff like, you know, like content creation. And it was really off the back of the internship program and off the back of certain deals that I'd done um, that in the first sort of nine months that I'd worked with the firm, I was able to sort of prove and show the value I bring to the firm and show not just in terms of like things that I'd done, but the quality of work that I was doing that, that was, you know, really at the next level and I was operating at a principal level. Um, and what was, what was really nice about my promotion was, was one that, that I, I did realize and recognize it myself, which I think often, and especially with women, it happens a bit later or a bit less, but equally that, that I was recognized by uh, my team for that. And that, you know, when I, I then went to have the conversation, so, you know, six months in or nine months in, whatever, after sort of you're able to really get a feel of what the firm's like and you decide, is there somewhere I want to stay? Or, you know, you say like, okay, well, what does that look like for me? And, and what value do I bring to the team? Um, had that chat and I, was, I, I sort of did mention to, to the GPs, that I really feel like, you know, I'm operating at a higher level uh, than senior associate. And they were like, you know what, we totally agree with you. And it's really well-deserved and here's your promotion. So I think from that, from that perspective, it was a really nice, easy uh, conversation that made me feel really valued. That's great. Did you prepare for the the discussion? What were the things that you were uh, bringing to that conversation to sort of substantiate this is why I want this? Yeah, so I have this framework that I like to think about my uh, my progression and my sort of performance through, which is like at the end of every quarter, at the end of every month, I'll sort of have like five minutes to sit down. So five minutes is not that long, but sometimes a bit longer. And I'll think about like, what did I do well at recently? So what are like, I always start with the accomplishments because I feel like I'm my own worst critic and it's very easy to just look at the things you did wrong. And I know that in the moment where I've done things or I wish I'd done stuff differently, I'll like think about it. You know, the sports you have in the shower, whereas like two days later, you're like, oh, I wish I'd done that instead. Um, those kinds of thoughts. So, so I tried to focus, like to, to, to give it a positive spin, like what have I done well? So it's like, what are the, the standout achievements that I've, I've done and what have I operated at the sort of like, you know, best standard and, and both versus myself in terms of like, I've done better than the last time I did this thing and also versus other people on the team. And I don't mean that in a competitive way, but I just think it's important to understand like the value you bring vis-a-vis to your, your colleagues, but also like just generally to like the, the team's shared objectives. And then the second thing I, I like to focus on is like, what have I learned? What can I do now? Or what do I know how to do now that I didn't know before? And I think it's important to reflect on those things because I think sometimes you, you can get so busy in the executing, you stop to think like, what are the valuable things that have actually come from all the executing? Uh, the, th- the third is what are my teammates saying about me in terms of like 
the the step outside and the awareness is like having sort of a couple of truth tellers and asking them like how do you think I did at this or can you share some feedback we worked on this deal together what what would you have liked to see me do differently etc just to get that sense of what did you think I did particularly well at as well um you know just to get a sense of a bit of like external awareness and a third person perspective and then the last one is like what can I do better which is the one that we always focus on and spend the most time on um, and I really came with those things laid out. And I think that it showed that, you know, she she understands like what she's done well and where she brings value and, and how she's been above and beyond some situations to, to execute on things for the firm. But then also she has an awareness of like, it's it's not just her opinion that matters. And she also sees that there's always something to improve on and to work towards, uh, which I think was like really appreciated in the conversations that I had. Amazing. I think that's a fantastic framework to... A, organize your thoughts and B, use as ammo, so to speak, when you're going after a specific goal. And speaking of goals, we touched on it a little bit just right at the beginning of the episode of um, expanding into new regions. It it would be great to expand maybe a little bit more on that and and how you see yourself growing into that role of responsibility as I as I. I think you're leading that that mission, so to speak, uh, and and also whether there's any opportunities for new people to join the team. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, so I think that one of the most interesting things or exciting things that I've been working on in the last six months is the firm's go to to market strategy for sub-Saharan Africa, which is that, you know, historically we've been more active, as I mentioned, in sort of the Middle East uh, and North Africa. And now we really want to start doing a lot more investments there. And it's really bringing structure to a very large and nuanced geography. So a company in Nigeria looks very different to a company in Kenya. And then, you know, the, the within each sort of vertical that we look at, whether it's health tech or fintech, it's fairly complex. And, and, you know, you need to be thoughtful to the specificities of each market. And sort of like tackling a beast that big we took a really scientific approach, which was like, really, really, we sat down and where it was sort of split into t- to teams. Um, we have a lot of inbound pipeline. And so that's one of the, the main ways that we learn about the market is just through speaking to founders, getting a sense of, of what's going on there. But then there was also the second piece, which is that we are based in the GCC and, and the team is fairly well entrenched here. And, and you know, we're, we're, we've managed to build up our reputation to be sort of one of the larger funds in the region. And so it's like much easier for us to know about transactions and to get that sort of information direct to us just based on like historical stuff. And now we're moving to a region where I have a bit of background because I've obviously worked there a bit, but we're not physically based there. We are, we're competing for deals with much larger in terms of like sort of Africa presence funds who've been in the market for much longer and have the same kind of pre-existing relationships that we'd have here. And then once again, like I said, a big geography. So it takes an element of still sort of um, vetting the inbound and using that as a, as a means to learn more about the market and what's happening, but also like a scientific approach, which is like the go-to-market ground rules. Is like, let's set geography target. And, and for that, for us, there's Kenya, Nigeria, and South Africa to start just because we see some themes and we see sort of an, an ecosystem and infrastructure to sort of support um, innovation in those markets that's Um, a bit more developed than other places. And I think that that isn't particularly revolutionary because most funds that are in sub-Saharan Africa look at it in a similar way. And then sort of saying we're we're focusing on sort of like, you know, six core verticals and sort of like looking and mapping out those spaces to the best of our ability. So that's health tech, ed tech, the future of work, fintech, some logistics and mobility. 
Um, and then we, we do have an allocation for sort of like, you know, things that sort of come up and like, you know, that we find interesting that might not be part of the core thesis. Then one of the amazing things about operating in sub-Saharan Africa is that because the ecosystem is still so nascent and because funding has been such a challenge, there's really this like communal sense around pushing it forward in terms of like, if you ask someone for an introduction to somebody else, or if you ask someone for um, a bit of insight, people are always willing to give you time, always willing to make introductions, always willing to share their connections. At every point, people have always opened doors for me to understand the market better and to become a bit more entrenched. So part of part of our analysis was figuring out like who's funded to date, how big are the transactions and, you know, fintech, for example, is like Africa's early winner. What's the exit horizon like, right? And so obviously in sub-Saharan Africa, we've seen that exits are taking um, not necessarily longer, but they, you know, it's one of like, you know, Africa's, Africa's rising and all of this, like, you know, it's a really exciting moment. Um, but but the, the sort of returns and exits have been few and far between outside of fintech. And so one of the, this, the second sort of ground rule as we entered the market was like understanding sort of an exit path in the investments we make as well. And then sort of the, uh, the last one, which is really important once again, is, is just an on the ground team which sort of is a nice segue to your second question, which is like, we are expanding. We are looking for a senior associate in Kenya right now, and we'll be looking for a senior associate in Nigeria later this year. We're looking for someone who's sort of on the ground, has relationships, can introduce us to people. Um, and then I think that one of the other interesting things I guess I'd like to talk about in this context is like really the shift from being a senior associate where you're sort of in that moment in your career where you take a lot of responsibility and you can be a lot the lead on a lot of things, but you don't necessarily have a significant group of people working below you. And now, for me, that's been one of the most interesting things in terms of job progression is now sort of managing a team, being responsible for their training and education and considering um, what are the things that I wish someone had done for me um, has been one of the questions I ask myself a lot. I think that's a really good way to to put it because I I do believe in this element of um, not maybe, maybe circularity isn't the right way to put it, but that as you said, a lot of people kind of showed you the, the path on your way up. That it's almost an expectation of yourself to like give back and think about how you were in that position. Just because I think you know there's not a lot of blueprints from more senior women in the industry, and you sort of have to pave it yourself if you want to create more of that for yourself in future or for you know the person that you were a few years ago so I think that's a really great perspective and it's just going to make the industry a lot more transparent and open um, and easier to navigate for people who will enter um, in the next few years. And yeah, I guess a piece of advice I'd like to give um, younger people who are looking to enter the venture spaces. I know that there's a lot of focus and there's a lot of innovation and cutting edge R&D coming out of more developed markets. But I encourage you to look at emerging markets as well as you consider venture as a career opportunity, just because there are a lot of opportunities there. The market's a lot more nascent. And so you can get some real opportunities to be part of, you know, um, building the ecosystem uh, from scratch, which is a different experience. I promise it's it's equally as rewarding. Amazing. And just one more question from me. The question is two parts. The first question is, how do people get in contact with you, Sasha? And secondly, who would you like to reach out to you? You're looking for two hires, so you know, definitely perhaps interesting candidates for those roles. But are there any other people that you'd like to reach out to you? Yeah, I'd love to hear from female founders in emerging markets because that's 
something that's really important to us. And at the stage we invest at, it's tough sometimes for us to find people are at the Series A stage. And, and what I've understood from the analysis that I've done so far and the opportunities that are coming my way is that sometimes female founders at the seed stage are just not getting the right support. And I don't mean mentoring mentoring them because I think female founders are over-mentored, but I just mean giving a few sort of like helpful pointers around like this is the best way to approach investors and to get that funding so that later you can get the later stage funding from us. Um, and I encourage people to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm not great at it, but I do get back to you. So, so um, I, I deal with it sort of in shifts, but yeah, it's the, the best place to find me. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time, Sasha. It's been such an interesting episode. I mean, I think your story is so interesting and, and how you end up to be where you are today. And I'm so excited to be following you on what holds in the future. It seems like there's so many exciting things in the pipeline. Um, and also learning a bit more about emerging markets and, and the opportunities that lie there. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, guys. It was really nice to have this chat with you, too. It was really lovely to listen to your story in, in more detail and also really inspiring. And I hope that people who've listened to this are excited to apply. And thank you to our lovely listeners, as always, for tuning in. Please do feel free to share this episode with people who might be interested in learning more about global ventures. And feel free to drop us a line at associatedpodcast at gmail.com or give us a follow on Twitter at associated underscore pod. Thanks. Bye. Bye.